You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Salvation in Jesus plus nothing. And you see what was happening in the Galatian churches. This isn't just written to one church. This is written to to churches all across Galatia. And and there was these troublemakers that started to cause problems in the church. And the church was doing well. It was growing and reaching people through the grace of Jesus Christ. And then these false teachers. Well, they came in and started teaching Jesus plus circumcision. And said, if you are not circumcised, then you are not a follower of Christ. Or Jewish laws, if you don't follow them, you are not a follower of Christ. Paul's beside himself. How fast the Galatians have given into this thought. And went along with it. And he's pleading with them to change their course. In the part of chapter 1 we didn't look at, and we kind of skipped uh, the second half of chapter 1, but I, I'm just going to give you the, 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 the nuts and bolts of it. How he was living out of Judaism. Paul is showing them, hey, listen, I, I lived this. I lived Judaism. I was killing Christians. I was winning in my own mind. And then people started to preach the Christ, the grace of Christ to me. And it angered me. Because I was all about the laws. I was doing fine until I was on that road to Damascus. And I literally got knocked down by the Lord. And I received him as my Lord and Savior, Paul says. And then Paul becomes one of the greatest missionaries and pastors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. From Christian killer to pastor. From Christian killer to missionary. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it says the following. It'll be on the screen. You can remain seated as I read this. We usually stand, but we're going to have you remain seated. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with these esteemed as leaders, with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, and I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our, rock, our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for, one, for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been, had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles, 
James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. May God add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. I want you to notice that Paul has gone to Jerusalem after, le- after a leading from God. This isn't just Paul going on his own. It's clear in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that Paul has been led by the Holy Spirit, by God, to go into this time, to take his theological beliefs to a group of men to make sure who are called, in verse 6, those who were held in high esteem, also called pillars later on in the scripture passage. They were Peter, James, and John. In other words, this is about 90% of those who authored the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the bigwigs of Christianity, if you would. These are the big dogs. These are no slouches when it comes to theological beliefs. And so we learn some things from this narrative that that Paul is teaching in Galatians chapter 2. And and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to have four lessons. And here's the first lesson. Paul humbly submits his theology to others. This should be the next screen there. There we go. Paul humbly admits, humbly um, submits his theological beliefs to others, his theology to others. And for those who are like me, when I went to Bible college, I sat in my very first theology proper class, and, and if you don't know what theology proper is, it's, it's every bit of theology in one class. And I remember reading things like soteriology, pneumatology, um, homoridology, um, I'm, I'm butchering that one, that one's the doctrine of sin, um, and, and, and other words. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm sitting there in the chair, this is my very first college class ever, um, and, and, and I'm looking at these words and I'm going, I didn't know I was going to be a doctor to deal with diseases, because they were such big words. And theology can be frustrating sometimes and so what we do what we do sometimes in churches and and it's dangerous is we kind of just talk like well theology doesn't matter the problem with that is is the study of God does matter and if you don't have the right beliefs about the study of God your mindset about God is way off and so when we say let's just ignore theology let's just talk general words and things like that and let's not you know and and again we can go to the other way everything can have a pendulum swing the wrong way where some people put so much focus on theology that they can't they can't possibly talk in regular english to people about god and so you can swing the pendulum that way but what we're seeing more and more in the churches today is is that theology just does not matter we don't care Wait, you don't care about what people believe about your God? 
You don't care about what you believe about your God? Because someday you're going to. When you're faced with a life trial and your God is this person that you believe is, but it's not what Scripture says he is. And so Paul... You know, he's preaching this gospel of, you know, Jesus plus nothing, and, and, he's, getting, and he's getting some feedback. <laughs> and as pastors, sometimes we get some feedback, and it's not good feedback. And so Paul says, listen, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go the, to the rocks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to the pastors of the pastors. I'm going to go, it would be like me um, kind of going to the bishop of the EC church. Do I have, a, do I have a, 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 a general sense of this? this? This has happened to me. I preached a message on, 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 um, on Pentecost Sunday one, one, one year, and this was when I was a youth pastor. It was many, many moons ago. And, and this gentleman started to, you know, he started to write to the senior pastor, that's not what the EC church believes. That's not what, that's not correct about the Holy Spirit. He's not right blah, 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 blah. And so what I did was I took my entire sermon, put it in an envelope, and I sent it to my theology professor who was an EC pastor who taught us EC theology in, in seminary, and I said, rip it apart. Am I wrong? Rip it apart. And I'll never forget the, the breath of fresh air I got when I received a, a message back that said, this is straight on what the EC church believes about the Holy Spirit. But you see, what happens today is some people are so arrogant they can't even take it to another person. I'm right about this belief about God and no one's going to change my opinion. But what if you're wrong? Listen to what Paul does in verses 1 through one through. Um, uh, two, I believe. Yeah, one and two. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along. Also, I went into response to a revelation and a meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running the race in vain. There are times when we hold theological beliefs can be, and, and, and we can be so arrogant about them. You know, I often say when people come up to me about, about very hard issues in the church that we're facing today, I'll often say to them, listen, this is what I, this is what I believe the scriptures say. Now, I could very well get to heaven and be told, this is, I was off. But this is what, through my studies, this is what I see. And Paul is showing us humility here, and he's saying, listen, I, I, I was preaching this gospel, and the, and, the, and the people that were the Judaizers that wanted, that wanted Judaism plus Christ were giving me a bunch of bull. And so I said, instead of sitting here saying, look, this is what I believe, this is what you believe, and we're going to fight, no, I'm going to go to the people who are, who are in charge and I'm going to say, here it is. I'm going to lay it out for you. Here's what I'm preaching. Is it correct or is it incorrect? And the more Paul learned about God, the more humble he became. And that should be the same for us. What ends up happening sometimes, at least, at least in my own life, we, we learn about God and we learn more about him and we become more and more um, 
uh, well, I'll use a good Dutch word, stubborn. You're not going to move me from this spot, Pastor. You're not going to move me from this spot, God. You're not going to move me from this spot. But maybe we need to be moved. There are things that I came out of. I remember going to Bible college and coming out of Bible college. And, and this is a story of, of not being humble. And, and I really wish I didn't have this story to tell. But I remember going to our, my very first interview as, as an EC pastor. And I'm sitting in there with guys that, 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 that have doctorates in EC theology and, and, and all this stuff. And I'm coming from a Baptist perspective because I went to a Baptist college because we don't have an EC college. So I went to a Baptist college, and, and there are certain issues. <laughs> I won't mention them today, but, but there are certain issues that Baptists are way over here, and ECers are way over there. And you know what my mindset was when I went into that interview? My senior pastor's sitting next to me, and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to change all these guys' opinions. I'm going to let them know they're wrong, I'm right. Let me tell you how that interview went. As my senior pastor is literally, no, no, extent, no, no extension of the truth here, kicking me under the table. Stop talking. It's arrogant. Me, a 21-year-old, in a room with guys who have 40-plus years of ministry, and I'm going to change their opinion. It's arrogant. And so Paul shows a bit of, not a bit, a lot of humility here. And he says, the, the more I learn about God, the more humble I become. The reason for this humility is being led by God is described in verse 4, and it'll be on the screen. This, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. See, they hated the freedom. Christ says, listen, grace is free. You don't have to be tied up in those chains. That's why we sang amazing grace. What? My chains are gone. But these Judaizers looked at it and said, no, there's got to be something more to the picture. We're missing something because you are way too free. And so you got to become circumcised. you got to follow the Jewish laws. you got to do all these things on top of Jesus Christ who sets you free because they don't want us to be free. They want us to be slaves to them. And so the Apostle Paul hears this and, and he's, getting, he's getting tired of these pesky Judaizers who have become more and more of an issue. Remember, in the gospel, there's freedom in religion. There's no freedom Religion causes war on ourselves, on others, and between us and God. Because it's about us and not about him. It's about what I do, not what he did. And so there's this war. And it sometimes roars its ugly head in each of us. 
They wanted an external religious activity, circumcision. It's biblical. Genesis 17, some of the beliefs weren't biblical, but this was. This is a very biblical belief, but it, just because it's biblical doesn't mean it's, 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 it's correct in the sense of this. There was a time that circumcision meant something, but it never took the place of a relationship with God. And so they took it too far. The problem is the Judaizers got it backwards. It's supposed to be an external symbol of an internal identity. That's what it's supposed to be. But they made it about that if you don't have it, you don't have a relationship with Christ. Wrong. It's like this wedding ring. It's an external symbol for an internal decision. I'm not going to this morning because I'll lose it. But if I took it off this morning and I laid it right here beside this candle, does that mean I'm walking out of church as a single man? If I lay here and some single guy is in the, in the audience, I don't know who, but he's in the audience, he comes up and he beats me up and he takes the ring and he puts it on his finger. Does that mean he's married to Michelle? Nope. Because it's an internal decision, external symbol. This doesn't make me married. What's in here does. I can wear this and not be a very good husband. Because it's important what's here. And so that's what was going on with circumcision. They were making circumcision a matter of the heart, and it wasn't a matter of the heart. It was a matter of external um, issues. So in verse 3, here it is. He brings up, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So even he brings Titus as a real-life example. He says, Titus, come along with me. Now, I'm not sure how, how um, excited Titus was to go, because you're going to see what's going to happen here. He even brings Titus as a real-life example to head to the people in Jerusalem. He walks up to them, and he says, hey, guys, is my theology correct? Jesus plus nothing is salvation? They say, yes. Great, wonderful. Then he says, just to be sure, here's my buddy Titus. Now he's a Greek, Gentile, pig-eating, non-circumcised Christian. Does he need to be circumcised to get salvation with Jesus Christ? Answer back, an emphatic no. And Titus takes the biggest sigh of relief that just about knocks everybody over. You'll get that when you figure out what circumcision is. It's not fun. Imagine if they say, yeah, he does need to be circumcised. Oh, crud. But he brings them as a real-life example. He says, listen, here, here's a guy. He's a pig-eating <laughs> Gentile. Doesn't, doesn't follow the Jewish laws. Does he need to be circumcised? 
The reason circumcision is not an issue, by the way, today is because of these verses. Because Paul fought the battle for each of us. Let's look at lesson number two. Lesson number two is truth should never be yielded even for a moment. Look at verse five. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul is showing us how passionate we need to be about the truth of the word of God. Those who are spiritually mature should comfort or confront false teaching with love. Look, the, the, the bottom line here is because truth should never be yielded even for a moment. For instance, I remember growing up as a pastor, or growing up in a, in a church, and our pastor used to make this huge deal um, about Christian schools. And, and my parents may not remember this, but I have the best memory in our family because my sister and my parents always say, how do you remember that? And I do. And I remember sitting at the, at the lunch table and my dad or my mom saying, you know, it's almost as if we don't send our kids to Christian school, we're not saved. I don't know if that was the pastor's desire. Look, I'm passionate about Christian school myself. I've seen what it's done in my kid's life, but I would never say that you don't, you're not saved if you don't send your kid to Christian school. But you see, what it was coming across was is that there was this external issue, and he was making it a heart issue. Those who preach or teach something unbiblical and make it a biblical need to be confronted, you have the right to do that if you're spiritually mature. More on that at the end of this series, so sorry, you got to wait. And you do so in love, not hatred, not demeaning. Look, I get knocked down every day. I don't need to be knocked down over this kind of stuff. You want to knock me down, knock me down. But you lose. We need to have compassion. And I'm not saying I'm preaching anything but other than Christ. But, but if that's the question, we need to confront that. But we need to do it out of love. Because love drives us. We need to do all things out of love. We don't need to be knocking people down over this stuff. But we do need to confront it. If you hear something, if you see something, if, you, if you're not sure about something, for, for instance, you can come and just look at the scriptures and if you say, I don't see that, then, then come and talk. Talk. Share. Listen. I shared an example earlier. That gentleman did it right. He came to me, and then he came to the senior pastor, and then he talked to me, and then I talked to the, the, the theology professor, and then I came to him, and I said, listen, here's what I did. I went to the bishop. I went to the theology professor. Here's what they said about my sermon, and I actually printed out their, their cards for him, and, 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 and he afterwards, he looked at me at the PRC meeting, and he said, thank you, Pastor Brett, for doing all this. Thank you for not just saying you're wrong, I'm right, get over it. Because that's not what love does. 
Love puts ourselves even out there and says, hey, listen, I could, hey, you could be right. Let's, let's check. That's what Paul's doing in Galatians chapter 2. That's what he's doing in this instance when he says truth is, is not to be given up on even for a moment. Religious people may show up here for, for connection groups or Sunday school classes or Bible studies, and, and they, may, they may have opinions about certain things that are not correct. I, I don't have an example floating in the back of my head that I'm not saying this morning. I'm just telling you it could happen here. Judaizers weren't just back in that day. We still have people that say, oh, it's Jesus plus um, baptism. It's Jesus plus um, given to the church. It's Jesus plus church attendance. They're Judaizers just in the same. How are you going to deal with them? I sure hope it's not going to be, I'll just let it fly this time. Because there's other brothers and sisters that are sitting around you that are depending on it. One of our beliefs is a, is a strong belief. We, we have a belief of, of salvation and, and being able to walk away from that salvation, let's say. And, and so um, I remember when I was a child and, 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 and I was in a Sunday school class and, and this gentleman got up and, and he was teaching a Sunday school class in the Evangelical Congregational Church and he, he made a comment that was not on that line. And the senior pastor was sitting in the, in the first row and... I remember that discussion at our supper table. And, and this is what drives my ministry. Because I remember my dad very clearly saying, I kind of lost respect for our pastor today. He sat there while somebody taught something directly against the evangelical congregational church and said nothing. Nothing. I don't know that my dad was right. But I know this, if you don't say anything, you're just as guilty as the person who said it. You're taking on the guilt of others because you heard it and you didn't just kind of lovingly call it into question. But again, it's, it comes from spiritually mature people because it has to be done in a way that edifies the body, not destroys it. And that's what's happened a lot of times in, in, in my dealings with this. We, we, people want to go in and, like, you know, and just bash the person. How dare you teach that in a Sunday school class? How dare you teach that to your connection group? How dare you? And bash and bash and bash, and then they leave. And then, and then the people put a badge on their shoulder like, yeah, 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 we got them to leave because they were teaching false doctrine. Congratulations, you lost. You didn't win. You lost. Loving. Let's look at lesson number three. Jesus plus nothing equals gospel. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. The Apostle Paul here is saying God doesn't accept you or me on the basis of external conditions. 
It's not, it's not Jesus plus um, uh, Jesus on the cross plus, plus uh, uh, whatever else you might add to it. And he says here, listen, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's you know, and I would say this if he was here today, um, it doesn't matter if it's Bishop Randy. Bishop Randy doesn't add something to my message if he agrees with my message because God shows no favoritism. He doesn't look at me and say, you're Pastor Brett. And then when Bishop Randy walks in, his eyes get big and he throws his hands in the air and goes, whoa, Bishop Randy's here. Whoa, so-and-so is here. Billy Graham is here. No, God looks at me and Billy the same. And even you and Billy the same. And some religious folks have a real hard time understanding that. He's got to be on a higher place. I mean, Billy Graham, he's got to be up top to the cross. No. He's on the same ground as you are. Jesus plus nothing. So here's a, here's a list of things that, that I came up with that, that we sometimes think that Christ uses to accept us. God does not accept us because of our theological beliefs. God does not accept us because of our political affiliation. He doesn't. God does not accept us because of our social standing. God does not accept us because others accept us. God does not accept us because of the translation of the Bible we prefer. You know there are still folks that believe that? If you're not using the 1611 King James Version, you're out. God doesn't say that. God does not accept us because of our parents' faith. God does not accept us for ministry we do. It's not about the external. It's about the heart, your heart, and where it resides with Jesus Christ. When it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, when it comes to the gospel, it is about the heart. All those things that were listed on that last slide are external things. They're wedding rings. And you can have the wedding ring on and not be connected. And so Paul is saying here, listen, this is what God does. God accepts us by what we do in our hearts, not for the Judaizers. No, it's what you do externally for the Judaizers. And that's why I called this sermon the sermon that religious people hate. Why? Because they're all about the external. If you're not doing, attending, being, doing this, doing that, doing this, you are somehow less important than they are. That's not gospel. Jesus doesn't say, come fall at the cross of Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior and then make sure you are perfect on this, 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 and this. Make sure you're on this side of the aisle. Make sure you're on this. Make sure you're on that. Make sure you're on that. He doesn't give us a list. No, what does he say? He says, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith. Grace. Not of yourself so that no one can hold a banner up and say, I did it. Forget Jesus. I did it. None of us can. That's it. 
Lesson number four, when the gospel is the focus and not religion, unity happens. And so in verses 7 through 10, it says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 8. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the uncircumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas, what? The right hand of fellowship. This unity here is not a gentleman's agreement. No, this is a work of the Holy Spirit that only he can do. There's a passion when the gospel is focused on folks. And the Lord orchestrates a unity that is like none other. That's why the subtitle of this sermon series, because religion kills unity faster than weed killer kills weeds. When we are focused on religion, are you doing as much as I'm doing? Because if you're not carrying your load, then you're not as religious as I am. You will not have unity in the body of Christ. It will not happen. It will destroy it faster than anything. Because religion ruins people. Gospel changes hearts. Now you don't have to look far to see how this has been happening right here in our midst. You don't have to look far. And also you don't have to look far for how this turns the corner because if you're looking at your Bible this morning, you're going to see that Peter gets it wrong next week. He sees it here and then he gets it wrong. We'll talk about that next week. But the reality is, is, is that if we want unity, if we want unity, and, and trust me, God is not going to bless and grow a place that is not unified, so we should desire it. And unity, remember, in Scripture is not saying that we agree on everything to the nth degree. Right here. You don't agree with this, we got problems. Everything else, let's work. And that's the call of Paul in Galatians chapter 2 here. And here are some concluding statements of application this morning. The gospel of grace does not lead to apathy. Gospel drives us to do because we've been loved. So many times I hear people say this. In fact, I've heard it this week, and, and I'm not going not gonna to say who or what, but, but I kind of heard it this week. You know, well, if we preach grace all the time, doesn't that make people just be like, oh, who cares? I'll just go out and do whatever, because he gives me grace. Look, if they've truthfully been changed by the work of Jesus Christ and the grace and the blood and the body shed, they won't have that reaction. If they have that reaction then they got issues with the body and blood that's been shed. If gospel leads you to be apathetic towards your faith, if the gospel of Jesus Christ, you haven't experienced the true gospel. Look, I said it last week. If this, what he did on this cross, doesn't drive people to be different, there's not a whole lot more that I can preach on Sunday morning. It's got to be that. For too long, I've been religious. That's why this sermon series hurts a little bit. 
I've made it about, are they doing this? Are they doing this? Are they doing this? Are they doing this? No more. Preach the gospel, Pastor Brad. That's what I hear from all of our top leaders. Preach the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to focus on the external. I can't anymore. It's, it's very frustrating. It ruins your life as a pastor when you are religious. I can admit it. When it's about do, 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 and if they're not doing, they're somehow not up to par, it's frustrating. Because guess what? I don't do enough. Gospel will inspire like rules do not inspire. Gospel will inspire us like rules do not inspire us. But yet, what does the world say? Come on, I mean, be with me here, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me. Every time something bad happens or someone does something out of the norm, what do we hear again and again? Let's put another law into practice. Let's change the rules. Because the bad guys are going to follow the rules all of a sudden. Let's add 16 more rules to that rule. Rules don't inspire anything. Grace does. Now, I am not saying, well, let's just let them all walk. That is not what I'm saying. I'm talking in a religious atmosphere. Grace inspires. Rules doesn't. I have had plenty of opportunities in my ministry over the 25 years that I've been in ministry to either show grace or follow rules or instill more rules. Do you want to know what's brought most growth to the churches that I've served? Showing grace. When we've thrown more rules at rule breakers, we have actually hurt churches. And yet there are some that demand that. You should lock them up and throw away the key. It's not what I see from him. You don't win people by fighting them. You win people by loving them in spite of them. That's what God did to you. In your darkness, he did this. When you didn't give anything about him, he did this for you. Number three, when gospel is preached, not religion, you will see pure obedience, not short, guilt-driven obedience. What ends up happening is, is when religion is the, 
is the work of the day. The pastor of the church or someone in the church pounds this home and pounds it home and pounds it home. And so you sit at home and say, if I hear this one more time from the pastor, I'm going to do something about it. And you do. And then guess what? You're involved in it for three minutes and you get burnt out and you quit. Why? Because it was guilt-driven obedience, not grace-driven obedience. That's what Paul is talking about. When the church listens to the Judaizers, there's guilt-driven obedience. And people quit and leave and get frustrated because they're doing it out of guilt. How about you do it out of the nails that were in his hands? How about you love this place like his place? How about you do ministry because he did ministry for you? I'm speaking to myself. Trust me. (laughs) Over the last two years, I've done some guilt-driven obedience. When COVID was at its worst, and I went home to my wife and kids, There were times the only reason I got up the next morning to come into this place was for guilt-driven obedience. It's the only reason. And so don't you dare come out of here saying, man, pastor was really speaking down to us. No, I'm on your level. Because it's real. And it happens like Am I serving the church because of what he did for the church or am I serving the church because I feel guilty? It will change your perspective. As I look around Faith Church, I know there are some who, who love Sunday school, who love connection groups, who love Bible studies, who love worship, but I equally know there are some that can take it or leave it. And let me guess at the difference. It's just my guess. At some point in folks' lives, they were guilted into coming to those things by good, God-fearing, religious folk. And guilt will never experience true change. Only the gospel can do that, folks. This is hard for me to swallow sometimes in ministry. Because I find everything we offer to be important. I don't want to be here for something that's not important. But I have to understand that pushing and prodding through religion is not the answer. There's a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in me and in you. And me dancing up and down on this stage, being passionate about it, is good and proper but is not the reason to do it. I have seen this firsthand here at Faith Church recently. The gospel, not religion, will change lives. I sat with a young man across glass on Thursday who is now four days ahead on his scripture reading. Religion, okay. 
has questions about the Bible that he never would have had before. You can argue until you're blue in the face with me, but I will tell you this. If we would have thrown religion at that situation, Aaron Hopkins would not be growing like he is today. We would have ruined him. I can't tell you how passionate he was with tears in his eyes across through a phone. I am so glad you loved me through this, Pastor, because I didn't think it was going to go that way. As a counselor that used to counsel me many, many moons ago, used to say, the proof is in the pudding. You can argue with me all you want. The proof is in the pudding. The gospel will change hearts. Religion will wreck people. You want to continue to follow religion? By all means. But when it's ruined, when you can't get peace with God, when you can't get peace with others, when you can't get peace within yourself, remember, that only comes through the gospel. Only comes through the gospel. There are Judaizers. They want to add to everything you do. But they should have done, but they should, but they should, but they should, but they should. No, 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 no. He did. It's done. There's a reason why he said, it is finished. While he hung on the cross. Because it's done. The work is finished. He did it for us. May we be open to the gospel, friends. May this place be a gospel-oriented church. I don't want to talk about religion. I want to talk about what Jesus is doing in your heart and in your life and how you're extending it to other people. We can talk about religion some other time. No, no, we can't. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's not give in to the truth. Or let's not allow the truth to be put aside for just one moment. The Apostle Paul says those words because he wanted the Galatian church to understand something. And that was is that they need to understand the gospel is of utmost importance. It's the truth that will change lives and so if he would have said to the judaizers okay you can have the circumcision but not this this and this he would have given in to religion and so why does he say in galatians chapter 2 we didn't even give in for a moment you ever hear this the 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 the, the comment if you give them an inch they're going to take a foot if you give them a foot, they're going to take something longer. The Apostle Paul is putting it into practice. If we give an inch, 
is something other than Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. They're going to take a foot. And then when they take the foot, they're going to take 30 yards. And then they're going to take an entire football field. And then before you know it, we won't be preaching the gospel anymore like the Judaizers. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen overnight. But I think we can all agree that we see it happening around our country where truth, eh, we'll okay that, even though the Bible clearly speaks against it. Take an inch, take a little more, take a little more, and before you know it, you're not preaching the gospel. Let's be gospel-oriented, friends. Let's stick to the truth. And let's show him, show him how much his sacrifice means to us. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in religion. Religion that causes division, religion that causes ruins our lives. Because we, we can never be good enough. We're always trying to chase our tails, literally. We're always trying to figure out how to be better than the next guy. Lord, you said it is finished. The work has been completed. We can rest in your grace this morning. Not grace that leads to apathy, but grace that leads us to serve you and love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Help us to do that, Lord. Help this body to be about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that this body is doing this. Lord, I have never, ever, ever, ever experienced questioning of why do we stand on the Bible. I have never experienced some of the things that my brothers have experienced in ministry here at Faith Church. Never, ever once. And I'm so thankful for this body of Christ that's willing to stand on the truth. But Lord, I know the pressures are getting higher. I know the temptation is coming. And Lord, I don't want to even give an inch. And I pray, Lord, that you will give my brothers and sisters within the sound of my voice, whether home and online or here in this sanctuary, the resolve to stand on the truth and not give in for one moment. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 